you didn't see the the motion of the hand and I apologize I didn't have you seated during our morning prayer it's a lot to think about and uh, I get up here sometimes and there's a lot on my mind believe it or not and I forgot so those of you by the way you know we believe uh, in 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 worshiping a great God here loudly with our voices, with our energy. And we stand throughout those songs, but you know what? There is absolutely no one judging if you're, you know, your back is hurting or uh, you, you have the need to sit down standing too long. That's fine. That's fine. We have a great God. And uh, it's our hearts that he is concerned about. And so just thought I'd throw that out there as a little public service announcement before we get started. You know, uh, I know that I sometimes do things a little bit different than, than maybe, maybe you've been used to through the years going to church and maybe in regards to how I preach, my style, overall delivery. And I, I really do appreciate your patience and your endurance in, in this time of transition. And I know that I've, I've, I've noticed uh, that I tend to give us as a church, you as individuals, moments to spend in, in silent prayer or, reflect, or reflection uh, maybe before communion or sometime in our morning worship. And I do this because I know for myself that I need time to calm my heart. I don't know if we're the same way that way, but I know that I need my thoughts oftentimes to get recentered, recentered on Jesus Christ. And really, for myself, I'll really admit this one I, I need prayer for the ability to focus. And, to, and by God's grace to be in tune with what the Holy Spirit will reveal through the word of God. And so, um, you know, I've found myself through the years that sometimes I spend uh, a sermon time really relying upon the skills of the preacher. And I feel like it's the pastor's job to keep me focused, to illustrate or to teach me. And, and certainly it is uh, a high and important calling to accurately deliver the word of God. And I've always believed that when we preach Christ, it really is a crime to be boring and lifeless because our God is great. And so I would pray that that wouldn't happen because we're proclaiming our risen Savior. We're proclaiming that Jesus is our life, that Jesus is our King, that he is our salvation. When we preach Christ, we're saying this, like Colossians 1.15. Why do we need to keep our eyes centered on Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent, that Jesus would be first. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." In a world where we're all so easily distracted, I want to take a few moments of silent prayer. I want you to take a moment in prayer. Focus in on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower our morning.
You see, we are in this together today. So take a few moments to pray, and then we'll get our morning started in God's word. Let's pray. Father, you are great, and Lord, we know that this morning belongs to you. Father, everything we have done is for Jesus Christ. We sing of him. We proclaim him, for he is our king. He is our salvation. And so, Father, in these moments, I would pray, Lord, for all of us, Father, guide my words by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, guard our hearts Keep them from wandering. May our hearts and our eyes be focused on what your word says, not on a man, not on our neighbors, not on anything else, but what you have for us this morning for our sanctification, for our walk with you, for your glory this morning, we pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you. So two weeks ago, we made a, a little bit of a transition, and I am big on review, and some of you probably know every single Sunday this is coming. I like review, because the book of Ephesians is a great letter. And a few months ago, in chapters one, we were been in chapters one, two, and three, and now we're moving into the second half of this letter to the church of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, again, is a town not very different than, than maybe San Francisco, San Jose, it was a place of commerce, a place of trade, a place of evil, a place of sin, witchcraft. Yet, God moved within his church there, and he grew his church. And so Paul is writing while he's in prison. And in chapters 1 through 3, he wants to remind the church of who they are in Christ. They show us all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Our position in Christ. That's chapters 1 through 3. Who we are, our identity in Christ. And Paul proclaims the greatness of God's grace through Jesus Christ to his chosen children. Now, we've moved into chapters 4, 5, and 6. And now we see kind of the meat and potatoes of what we are to do. What we're to eat. How we're to live. How we're to walk because of God's grace. See, God's grace is the fuel for how we live. We will see how God's grace works within our lives. These chapters show the practice of a Christian. And I love the book of Ephesians, and I hope you're spending time in it. But God's grace, we see this. God's grace brings life, salvation, and power. And we have indeed been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every means every. We are such a blessed people to be in Christ. We've been given a magnificent and a gracious gift from God. And again, I just hit this every single Sunday. This gift of grace is our fuel. It is the energy. It is the power for our lives. It is grace which enables us to live. As it says in chapter Four, verse 1, when Paul says, I therefore, pointing back to all that God has done, a prisoner of the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. See, we are called as Christians to have a worthy walk, a walk that is worthy of all of God's grace, of all that he has done. You see, we are called to live differently. We are called to be salt and light, as Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount. We are to be different. We're to be different as individuals, but also as individuals, we make up a church. We make up a local body here in Hollister. And so we're looking at what it is to be a healthy church. But we can't forget, it is important for us to know, it is your spiritual health as an individual that will bring health to our local body. So Paul is indeed giving instruction to the church. And over the next weeks, we're going to be seeing three marks of a healthy church. We started two weeks ago, and I want to give you all three points, or all three marks, that we'll be going over in the next couple weeks. We started two weeks ago, and here's the first one. A healthy church is identified by spiritual unity, and that's in verses one through six. We'll finish that up today. Then we'll move forward, and we'll see that a healthy church is identified by spiritual gifts in action. That the church will be working together. That's in verses 7 through 12. And then finally, we'll see a healthy church is identified by spiritual maturity. And we'll see that in verses 13 through 16. So last week, we started in on our first identifying mark. We are to be known for spiritual unity. And on that, I had three subpoints under that point. And we hit two of them two weeks ago. Go back and check that, but we'll do a quick review of that. Why do we have... Unity, why are we identified if we're healthy by spiritual unity? Because we are united by a divine calling. Our unity is because of a divine calling. In verse one, it said, again, it said, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You see, the church universal and then within our local church, it is made up of people who are united by a common divine call from God. You know, we may not share a common heritage. We may not have a common race amongst each other or a common economic status. We may not even have a common language or commonness amongst our hobbies or interests. There might be some in here that if you and I got locked in a room together for more than an hour or so, we might run out of things to say. We'd start looking at each other awkwardly. We might not share anything really in common in terms of hobbies and interests. I like baseball, you might like curling. I like pizza and junk food. You might like wheatgrass. I like modernish music. I really do like all music, but you might just really think Gregorian chants are the way to go. What's on your iPod? Latin. We'd be in trouble. If our unity was based on our common interests, where would we be? But... Here's what's awesome. And here's what's so excellent about the body of Christ. If you've been called by God's grace into life in Jesus Christ, 
by the grace of God, we have tremendous unity with each other. And it's interesting that in this passage it says, keep, work diligently to keep the unity. That means we have unity. We don't create this unity. We are unified in Jesus Christ because of our common calling. The gospel unifies us. Jesus Christ unifies us despite any other backgrounds that we might have. We are one in Christ. And it's a unity that cannot be broken. And it's a unity that started here on earth. And that unity will be with us for all time. It will carry into heaven. It is an unbreakable unity. United by our salvation, we are united by our divine calling. The second subpoint under a healthy church being identified by spiritual unity is this. By the grace of God, we have spiritual unity because we are united, we are united by Christian or Christ-like conduct. We know how we are to live because the scriptures give us that instruction. And this brings unity. We are called to a worthy walk. We are called to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received from God. We are called Christians. So we, as we are empowered by God's gracious and powerful calling, are to live a life that looks like Jesus Christ. We're doing this together. Together we want to walk and live and conduct ourselves in a manner that looks like Jesus Christ. And what he would have us to do. And Paul listed qualities. This is what a worthy walk looks like. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. Accepting one another in love. Diligently keeping unity. And again I say it. We keep unity. We do not create it. We have it in Christ. These qualities are amazing. Look at them. You know what it looks like to me? Very, very similar to Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what God produces in the lives of his children. Humility and gentleness and patience, love. This is what God's power within us produces within our lives. We don't do this by ourselves. This is not the fruit of Ron. It's not the fruit of Gary. It's not the fruit of Darren. The fruit of Darren is love, joy, peace. No. The fruit of the Spirit, we see in my brothers and my sisters. We see it within you. It's the fruit of the Spirit empowering us, working within us. You know what the fruit of myself is? Do you want to know what your fruit is by yourself? The deeds of the flesh. And that's what it's also listed in Galatians 5. You want to know what the fruit of Ron is? You want to know what yourself produces? Immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, and all sorts of evil. 
relying on yourself, the fruit of the flesh are those things. That is not who we are to be, and that's not who we are. Because we're in Christ, and God's grace kills the flesh. And we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So we must be those who walk a worthy walk, and it's empowered by grace. I say that one million times. I know, and if you get tired of it, you shouldn't. It's God's grace. Empowered by ourselves, we are in trouble. But man, do we want to do it. God's grace produces this. Empowered by God's grace, we must, by the power of the Holy Spirit, must renounce anything within us as individuals or within us as a body of Christ that isn't humble, that isn't gentle, that isn't patient, that isn't loving or unifying. Be diligent to keep unity. So a healthy church is identified by unity. And our third sub-point is this, where we'll be today. We are united by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verses four through six. Actually, let's read, let's read our whole text just to kind of get the, the flow of our chapter. Over the weeks, we'll be through one through 16, but we'll just read through one through six today. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are united by the gospel. Did you see in verses four through six, there is one body in one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, in these verses, we see that Paul is probably reciting an early Christian creed. You guys know what a creed is? We have the Apostles' Creed. We have uh, the Nicene Creed, there's creeds, and that's a, this is what we believe. It would list out in a way that churches oftentimes recited them. And they would say, this is what we believe. It was a way of uniting one another in a common gospel, in a common creed. And Paul is probably reciting one. And he lists seven one statements, one statements, that strongly show the oneness that we share in the gospel. I read in a commentary this week, and I like this. It said, Ephesians 4 is not teaching unity at any cost. It is teaching eternal unity in Jesus Christ. And so let's look at these seven one statements today. One body. I touched on this a little earlier. 
But Christ's church is amazing in its diversity, isn't it? Even in heaven, we will see what? Every tribe, tongue, and nation. Do you notice how the nations are not unified? Yeah, <laughs> it's a newsflash. But they're not. The world is divided, sadly, by so many different things that do not matter. Skin color, language, religion. This is where wars come from. We live in a divided, divided world. We label everything, don't we? Why do we do that? So we can identify who we like or who we don't like. That's not the church. Church doesn't work that way. We're united by the gospel. We are one body. Think of the disciples. What, a, what an interesting group, huh? That, that Jesus called? Tax collector. Real popular in that time, by the way. Fisherman. We see later on, Luke is a historian. There's some hyperactive brothers called the Sons of Thunder. Wonder what that was like. Hey, get mom to ask Jesus, who's going to sit at the place of authority? They might have been a handful, I think. That's just my thoughts. It's not, that's extra. Sons of Thunder. Sounds hard to control. The disciples, like the church, were diverse in background. Man, we're diverse in here, aren't we? We're diverse in personality and giftedness. Yet, we are united by Jesus Christ. We are one in Jesus Christ. There is one body. Remember in chapter 2? It said this, there are no longer aliens and strangers. You see, there's no alienation within the people of God. Verse 13 of chapter 2, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. The church is a place of peace because we have peace in Christ and we come from whatever background <coughs> that you may have, rich, poor, there is no economic status. We sit here together as one, sinners saved by the grace of God. That is the church. It's one body, one body. Paul says there's one body and the next one spirit. In Christ, by God's grace, <coughs> and by God's gift to us, we are united by the Holy Spirit. God lives within us. God, the Holy Spirit, indwells us. That makes us one. 
In Christ, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise we saw in chapter one. We saw that the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. In chapter two, look at verse 22. In him, Jesus Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. By the Spirit. You see, the Spirit is oftentimes kind of, in our flavor of Christianity, it's there, but we're kind of, I don't know, you know, the Holy Spirit, because... We don't want to get too crazy with the Holy Spirit. But it is the Spirit that empowers us not to be ignored. God, again, I'm saying it again. God lives within you, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, He is uniting us and building us together. <clears throat> There's no longer division. We no longer say Gentiles and Jews, we are the church built together by the Holy Spirit, and it is the Spirit that empowers us. Maybe a series needs to come. God, the Holy Spirit, and how he works within us. Oh, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? My mind is rolling. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. We have one body, one spirit, and one hope. Look at verse 12 in chapter 2. See, Paul's reminding us, even now, of what God has done. And so we look back. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You ever felt hopeless? You ever been to that place where it's dark and you feel as if there is no hope? That's not the believer. We have hope. We hope in Christ. We have a common hope in Christ. No matter what happens to us in this world, Whatever trials come our way, you may lose everything. You may be Job part two. But we will never, ever lose Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we have hope. We will never lose hope. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ alone. People love to hope. You ever hope for something? You ever heard someone say, hey, I hope, and they fill in the blank? Hope it rains. I hope I get rich. I hope we have pizza today. I hope we go to In-N-Out after church. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Right? We say this all the time. People love to hope. As much as people love to hope, do you know that people love to kill your hope? Yep. For everything you hope for, there's someone on the opposite that said, I hope not. 
sure. If you can. I hope the Giants win. My friend, Pastor Jeff, will say, I hope the Dodgers win. We are not unified in hope. There's a point to this. I hope. I hope so, too. Think of the things you hope for. I hope I get that promotion. Your coworker doesn't. They hope they get it. Come election time, sorry to go there, 50-ish percent of the country will hope for one candidate to win, 50%-ish will hope for the other candidate. Half will be sure that the world will end in the next four years and we'll all lose our jobs and the economy will tank. The other half will think that good times are here again. I hope he wins. I hope not. I'll move to Australia. If I had a dollar for every time I've read that. We hope for things. But there is no unity in our hopes. Even within our family. If you ever had the vacation discussion with your kids, like, you know, they're not paying for it, so they really don't have a say, but you know how it goes. You just kind of want to tell them and keep them involved because you love them. And one of them will say, I hope we go to Disneyland. We're like, well, when are we going? In July. I hope we don't. <laughs> Too crowded. Well, I hope we go to the beach. I don't like the sand. I hope we don't. Any of you ever have a hard time just figuring out what to have for dinner? These things do not bring unity. They're individual hopes. But in Christ, we have unifying hope. It's all the same. And we're unified in it. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in God alone. We're hoping for Jesus to come soon. Amen? Within the church, we have one awesome, great, and uniting hope, and that is Jesus Christ. He is our salvation, and he is our coming king. Jesus is our only hope. So let's live like people who have hope. And we can look at each other and smile and say, how's your day? It's rough, but I have hope. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus said, my strength is sufficient in weakness. Jesus said, my grace will carry you. Jesus said, you were dead in your sins, and by grace you've been brought to life. We have hope. You know what else you have? You have hope over victory of sin. Victory over sin is our hope. We know that he who began a good work in us will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. But if you're like me, do you still struggle Yes, moment by moment, day by day, <clears throat> second by second. But we have hope. This body of sin will be done away with and we will be made new. This is temporary. So we have hope, true unifying hope. So let's live 
like these type of people. When we live with hope, we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel to which we've been called. We have one body, one spirit, one hope, and one Lord. One Lord. The cry of the child of God is this, isn't it? And the cry of Christ's church. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, when the early church proclaimed that Jesus Christ is Lord, when they would say that, do you know what they were saying? Nero, you are not Lord. Caesar, you are not Lord. And you know what oftentimes happened? They became torches in the courtyard of Caesar. And they gave their lives for the gospel. But why do we give our lives for the gospel? Why do we give our lives? Because we have hope. And Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. If Jesus is Lord, he is Lord. He is ruler. There is no one else. It is to him every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. We need to get done with some faulty theology, some faulty statements. Through the years, I've heard things like this. I accepted Christ at five years old, lived how I wanted to, and then at age 12, I made him Lord of my life. No, he is Lord. And we obey or we don't. We recognize who he is or we don't. But it does not change for all eternity. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is Lord. We don't make him Lord. We submit to him. And how do we submit? What empowers our submission? God's grace. We've been awakened We've been given life, we've been given the Holy Spirit, and we willingly bow our knees before the Father. And we proclaim, Jesus is Lord. We do not make him Lord, he is Lord. You know, when Jewish believers proclaim this, they were getting pretty radical. They were saying this, that Jesus was God Almighty. Remember back in Deuteronomy? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God and he is Lord. And when you would say Jesus Christ is Lord, you were saying the scriptures of the Old Testament proclaim God is shown to us in Jesus Christ. He is Lord. There's more. We have one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, and one faith. In this creed, in our passage, Paul is saying we have a common and unifying doctrine. We have truth that we as a church, universal, confess together. We share a common faith 
and we are united in our faith in Jesus Christ. We are united in common doctrine. We have one faith. And that faith, the foundation is Jesus Christ. We are united in Christ. We are united by the gospel. That man is dead in their trespasses and sins, but God is rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he made us alive. For by grace you have been saved. This is what the church believes and holds on to. We are saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We have one faith. If you are a Christian, you believe that it's Jesus Christ and Christ alone who brings salvation. And it's a gift from God. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. You see, in Christ, all believers share in one baptism. All who are in Christ share the common experience of being spiritually baptized into Christ. We are united in Christ through our spiritual baptism into Christ. And we read that this morning. For just as the body in 1 Corinthians 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, listen, we were all baptized, immersed into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The work of the spirit in our lives, we're immersed into Christ. We're baptized into one body. And we show the reality of our common baptism, our common spiritual baptism through the outward sign of water baptism. Water baptism is the outward sign of what God has already done inwardly within us. Again, water baptism is the outward sign of an inward reality. In our salvation, Titus says this, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father. I absolutely love that Paul said it that way. He didn't just say one God. He said one God and Abba Father, a dad, a loving father. One God and Father. Let that sink in. We are united in our adoption by the Father. We are brothers and sisters. We all share the same Father in Jesus Christ. We are one big, diverse, unified in Christ family. 
We are God's children. He is our Father. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that amazing? You truly are. You know, I grew up, the whole, you know, people say, hey, brother. Brothers and sisters in Christ, and it kind of became a churchy term. You know, if you grow up in church, there's just things that you pick up the church lingo. You are my brother and you are my sister in Christ. Cool. And I just kind of would go about my life. Do you realize we were orphans? We were dead in our sins. Slaves in our sin. Nothing good. But God was rich in mercy. And in chapter one, we saw that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. He loved us and he made us his children. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is not to be said about flippantly. It is not to be ignored. It is to be marveled at. It is to be, be meditated on. It is to be amazed about. We need to marvel and live in unity because of what God has done. Look at the awesome work of our triune God in this passage. It is the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who creates our unity. But at the same time, do you know that our triune God is the perfect picture of unity? The model for unity is God and the relationship he has within the Trinity. Now I know I might be blowing your minds and I don't have time to delve into it. But are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit unified? Absolutely. What did Jesus pray in the garden in John 17? Look how Jesus prayed as he prayed for a unified church. This is Jesus praying for you and me. This is Jesus praying for Grace Bible Church of Hollister. Father, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they, be also, may they also be one in us, so that for this purpose, that the world may believe that you sent me. May they also be one in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. You know what I hate about division within a church? It isn't so much that it happens because we're human, but that it wrecks the testimony of Jesus Christ in a community. And all of us must repent from that. That is not who we should be. Tragic. This passage, and again, 
empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the grace of God, shows us our unity, that we must be a people who work diligently to keep the unity. And I would beg you, the moment that you want to lift up a phone call, and myself is included in this, and so I am not condemning you. This is just warning for all of us. You want to take down a church or speak ill against the body of Christ, you are playing with God's unified, blood-bought bride. Even if we're wrong, trust in the sovereign God of the universe and don't damage a church. If you have a need to leave a church, leave and commit and covenant before God not to grab people with you and tear people down. It destroys a testimony of the community. We have a great unifying God and we are united in the gospel and we must be people united in Christ. What do we share in common? Jesus saved us. If Jesus saved you, I can work through anything with you. If we all come to a table and we'll be humble and gentle and kind and loving and allow the fruit of the Spirit to work, there is nothing that can destroy the unity of a church. But the minute we say, my way, we're toast, myself included. We humbly come before a unifying God because we are one in Christ. And we must Fight, 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 fight. Not amongst each other, but we must fight to diligently keep unity. That means, guess what? You don't agree with something? Go to the cross and die to self. Even if you're right, God is sovereign. He's in control. You're not. And he'll deal with his church. He doesn't need us to do that. He calls us to unity. If you fight for something, fight for the gospel. Fight for the unity of one another because we are one in Christ. Hey, we've had rough times. I will confess to you right now I know I am a sinful man. I know that it is impossible for me to handle every relationship perfectly. Same with you. But what do I know? Jesus Christ saved me, and he saved you. And so let us be a church unified in this cause we are unified in the gospel. We are unified in a common calling, as diverse as we are. And let's go tell the world that it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what sins you struggle with. They might be different than the sins I struggle with. Jesus Christ is the savior and friend of sinners. Let's share the gospel. That's where unity comes from. It's in Christ. Let's pray.
Father, I, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by your mercy. I'm overwhelmed by your word, which speaks of a tremendous unity that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the city of Hollister, and I thank you for every single child of God that we have here in this community who's been called by your mercy and called by your grace. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for our body. Lord, I know that you have great things in store for us. Father, it's no accident that by your sovereign care and your sovereign will, we're in a book and in a letter that shows us the magnificence of your grace and it shows us how we're to live because of that. And so, Father, we're weak. Father, we know left to ourselves, left to the power of our flesh, nothing but sin and damage will come. But Father, we know by the power of your Holy Spirit that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control will rule. Father, we know by the power of your Holy Spirit that we're united in the gospel and that we will be a people united as one in a common call, in a common faith, saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Father, we ask for wisdom, we ask for mercy we ask for your Holy Spirit to empower us to be the church that we need to be that brings you glory, that is unified in Christ. Father, we also pray as individuals, as we live our, live our lives in our jobs, within our families, in our community, Father, we would be one who show our hope is in Christ alone. Father, do a great work. We wait on you. But Father, we move with you too. We will not be idle in diligently keeping the unity that you give us in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.